Let me just eliminate all of the white noise for They're you. They're counting on you not understanding what this is all about. They want to create conflict. They want to create this chaos. They want you to be stupid. This is the Conservative Daily Podcast with Joe Waldman. Yeah, I'm a threat because I'm telling you what the Constitution says. And Max McGuire. The flak is the heaviest when the bomber is right above the target about to open the bomb bay doors. And now the Conservative Daily Podcast is on the air. Welcome back to another edition of the Conservative Daily Podcast. My name is Max McGuire. And my name is Joe Oltman. Jam-packed show today. Towards the end, we're going to be talking about the illegal gun registry that the Biden administration just admitted to creating and how Chuck Schumer is trying to ram through $1.5 billion in funding so that the ATF can use that registry to go after gun owners. So make sure you stay tuned for that. <sighs> On the front half, though, we do have a guest, um, Professor Mark Bauerlein of Emory University going to talk to us about his new book. So why don't we, without further ado, welcome on Professor Bauerlein. Mark, welcome. Hello there, gentlemen. I'm glad to join you. A conservative professor. I'm, 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 I am, I am liberal. I'm a Democrat. I've never voted oh. Repu- Republicans are greedy or stupid, right? Agree, you know, stupid or racism. Go, go together. Uh, my colleagues are all conservative. Uh, they, they shut me down. They shun me. Yeah. They, they, they Emory, smear me. Emory University, a bastion of conservative thought. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it's, it's a, they, they've got, they've got gates. They're, they're not letting, not letting the wrong people in. So I actually was liberal through the nineties, uh, when I came out of graduate school and I did think those things. And, you know, most of my colleagues in the humanities actually, they're, they're moderate liberal people. They are, I mean, they would never vote Republican, but you know, they're mostly responsible and, and conscientious people. The problem in academia is that that large liberal group proved over the last 30 years or even more incapable of holding back a small cadre of illiberal leftists. They simply, because the, because the leftists had too much moral authority in those moderate liberal sides, they couldn't say, no, no, you're not going to do this. You're not going to start requiring students to go through orientations that push this progressivist coercion. You're not going to impose speech codes on, on campus. You're not going no, they just wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. And that's one of the things that, pushed me to the right, you know, in the late nineties and, and early aughts. And then, then of course, when I, when I became openly conservative and then a supporter of Donald Trump in 2016, well, that puts you off the, off the radar. You're, you're, you're beyond the pale. You're just, uh, you're just kind of odd, but I, but I have to say, you know, Emory, Emory, I, I retired from Emory last year and it was, it was a place where you could, you could, I, I could do what I wanted. You could express you know? your thought. I, yeah. And, I mean, I had tenure, but my experience was that if you are a responsible colleague, you know, you teach your classes, you, you, you do your, your committee work and you uphold conservative principle with certain firmness and a smile, they, most of them take you and, and the leftists on campus, I mean, across the country, they're not used to someone standing up, not being intimidated. And so they really didn't know what to do when the guilt trips 
didn't fly. They don't, I, I've seen this happen before where one conservative can stand up and argue something like Ben Shapiro and the, you know, 20 leftists can kind of be shut down because the struggle session just doesn't work this time. It works with the college presidents. I mean, there's nothing that frightens a college president more than to see 10 students of color with grim faces marching toward his office. He, he starts shaking. And believe me, there is nothing more exhilarating for those 19-year-olds than to see the biggest man on campus uh, bowing down, kowtowing to them. I mean, this is, this is an exciting moment for those students. So you, you have a new book out. I do. I'll make sure that we, we let everyone know. If we put on my screen, Mr. Yes. Producer, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth to dangerous adults. And if we put up my screen, everyone can see it. Um, talk to us about this because it was interesting. Your, I, I guess your publisher, your publicist sent over different, uh, like different talking points. And there, there was some of the stuff that, that caught, got my attention for sure. And that's the whole purpose of it. Um, millennials turning to politics to plug the hole in their empty souls. Uh, <laughs> talk to us that, about this. Well, book. Well, you know, you know, I did the first Dumbest Generation book in 2008. And at that time, uh, everyone was talking about the, the amazing millennials. Gentlemen, uh, what are your ages, please? I, I have to know who I'm talking to. 47. Yeah, I'm okay, you're cool. So I'm not, all I'm all not right. Can't, interviews canceled. But, I'm out of here. But, okay. but Max has uh, a few of those uh, tendencies. I just want you to know. That. <laughs> well, well, the, the good thing about being a well-read, informed millennial who knows some history, who is able to sit down and debate politics without trauma setting in, is you, you look so much better than your, than your peers because so many of them really did check out on things, And they did it when they were teenagers. The idea back then in, in 06, 07, everyone was talking about how the great the millennials were. They're, they're excited, they're ambitious, they're innovative. They, they've adopted these tools, they're, they're early adopters. They run circles around the boomers with, with Facebook, the social media, texting, all the rest. And they're gonna lead America into the 21st century because they've got such great progressive tolerant attitudes. They helped elect our first African-American president and they are the future. Here come the millennials. That was one 60 minutes episode at the time. They're gonna transform the workplace. They're gonna transform shopping, consumerism. Yeah. And well, I did. looked at this. We, we, we killed the shopping mall. <laughs> so <laughs> you we did. did you did. You, you had a lot <laughs> of discretionary spending money. The, the millennials did, you know, before the 08 crash. But uh, I stepped in and said, this is very bad. This is very bad. It is unhealthy for a 15 year old to walk around with 250 photos of himself in his pocket or, or to, to, to photograph the plate of food you're going to ingest, you know, 10 seconds later. Uh, it's very bad for them to be so encased 24-7 in a youth world, peer-to-peer -peer contact. You know, 1, 1 p.m., that phone dings, a, pic a picture of the party has come through, and now you can gossip back and forth about it. This is terrible for them. It's not letting the adult matters come into their lives the way I had to when I was, you know, in, in 14 and I had to listen to this guy, Walter Cronkite, because it was the only screen in the house talking about something Watergate, who cares? Uh, there was only one phone. It was in the kitchen. You had to stick your finger in a, this dial and turn it a bunch of times. 
to make a phone call. And I had one of those growing up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Uh, but so, so I, I wrote this first book, The Dumbest Generation, How the Digital Age Stupefies Young Americans and Jeopardizes Our Future, or Don't Trust Anyone Under 30. And that came out. And boy, the response from, from teachers and intellectuals, what a Luddite, you know, another grandpa saying, get off my lawn. And my, my response is, you're darn right, you know, we got to be stern elders. It helps the young grow up. Stop trying to, you know, what am I supposed to do? Come into class, you know, at age 50 and at, at the end of the summer, sporting a little ponytail and an earring, so I'm down with the kids? No. Uh, what, uh, what we need to do is to stand for the adult realities of history, the great heroes and role models of the past. We need to give them good books and they didn't get it. And now 15 years later, we're seeing the fruits of that, of that pattern. Well, I mean, there, there's something that you just said that I find interesting. And they said the digital age, because, um, you know, I, I had to challenge my son and my daughter many, many times through school because they could get all of the answers off of Google. And so they never dug just below the surface. They never got to the point where they read the book. My, my daughter reads books all the time, so it was easy to get her past that. I'm like, well, read the book. And I would take away the electronics. My son started playing video games all the time, so I just took it away. I'm like, no, get outside and go kick the soccer ball. Get outside and go do something. Climb a tree. Go for a run. Do something outside. Yeah. And, and when, when I would come back inside and he's doing his homework and I see that there's Google, there's like 10 tabs of Google across, I go, shut that down. What are, you, what, are you, what are you supposed to be doing? He says, well, we're supposed to read this book, but I didn't want to read it. So I just got all the information yeah. off of Google. And I go, you're grounded, and I take, I'm taking everything. I'm taking your phone. I'm taking your computer. And, well, I have to write my paper. I was like, well, then sure. I'll just yank the Internet out of the wall. Now you don't have Google. What are you going to do? And I forced them to go yeah. through and read the entire book. But they, they weren't forced to do anything. There's no hard work that's been done in this generation. And the future generations is much worse, Mark. I don't know how you yeah, see that, well, but you're, you're, you're it's much Gen worse. Z. I, don't, I don't want to own that because he's Gen Z. <laughs> so whatever he's <laughs> well, doing is the next generation. But in fairness, Cliff's, Cliff's Notes has existed from like the 1950s or 1960s. So every generation has found like ways to get around having to read the whole book. It's It was right? $8 and, to go buy the Cliff Notes. And so most kids yeah. didn't want to spend 8 bucks. They'd rather just read the book. <laughs> And, and certainly the motivation was there. I mean, millennials as teenagers weren't different from other teenagers. They were no worse. But what the digital stuff did was put these inclinations for adolescents and tools like Cliff Notes onto overdrive, right? So it, it enabled longstanding uh, dispositions and time savers and homework avoidance patterns to to become the regular equipment of life. I mean, you had to work to go get the cliff notes. They just hit a button and get it now. So how do I mean, you, Joe, you did exactly you the right the thing. How do you well, circle? Well, I, I get that, like, well, we don't want to do the homework, get the cliff notes. The millennials are the most educated, you put that in air quotes, whatever, educated generation in American history. More millennials have gotten college degrees than any other generation. More millennials have gotten advanced right. degrees, master's degrees, PhDs. Millennials read more books a year than Gen Xers. Um, millennials are more likely to be entrepreneurial than other previous generations. Millennials are more likely to quit a job to go travel the world and learn new things. Um, 
I, I get what you're saying. And I'm sure I, I know plenty of people who fit that mold perfectly, right? Who stare at their yeah. screen and they're all consumed by Instagram. But it seems well, let me give, like there's more than that. Well, well, let me give uh, some some of the some of the data that are out there now. Uh, one, actually, they are there are more college degrees. Um, at the same time, there's massive grade inflation. They work less hard in college than they do less homework time than students did in the 80s and much more in the 60s. Reading scores, and this goes on, on standardized tests up and down, the, the age scale, reading scores are down. They don't read, and the, the SAT added a writing component in 2005. 2006 scores, scores dropped every single year except one, uh, two years when they were flat until the SAT 10 years later said, we, we can't do this, this is getting embarrassing. We, we have to stop. The ACT does college readiness rates in reading and writing. Those, those have gone down as well. Now, when we look at attitudes, the millennials who call themselves patriots now, it's about 30, 33%, about one third of them, call much, much lower rate than older generations. They're not getting married and forming families at near the rate older generations did. And that's a sign of the pessimism of the future. They don't believe in family. They don't have any great family ideas. The family as a, a continuity, as a lineage, as, as, a, as a place to, to, to give a little grounding and purpose and meaning to your life. They don't have that. The tolerance that they had in 2008, they now rate as the most intolerant generation. And this is self-reported. They have higher rates of anxiety and depression and, and narcissism, but they also have a higher rate of a vindictive sense of life. When they see an injustice going on, even if a microaggression, you know, microscopic aggression, they want to see that culprit punished. Millennials are the strongest group when it comes to cancel culture. In, I mean, sure. more than 50% of them believe James Damore should have been fired at Google. Fired. Not just, you know, made to debate or anything. No, he's gone. We're going to take away his livelihood. They are happy to sign a petition with 2,000 other people to get a stranger. They don't even have to know this person to get a stranger fired for telling a dumb racial joke on, 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 on Instagram. Or, or something. So, that, and this is why I've done the current book, The Dumbest Generation Grows Up, from stupefied youth to dangerous adults. M Max, look at how the millennials responded to the 2016 election. A, a yeah, massive no, temper. I, I, I hear you. I, I, so I absolutely hear you. It's, it's not that they're. Yeah, it's not that they're less intelligent. It's not that they're less less entrepreneurial, innovative, but you know. They're bitter, high rates of disappointment, that vindictiveness. And I, I do think it's because they didn't get a strong humanities book formation when they were young. And so they don't have the equipment now to handle something like the election of this awful orange haired guy. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't know how to respond to that in a democratic, pluralistic way. I mean, this is how you want to tell them, do you think that you get to win every time? Well, they do because they're the good people. No. They're, yeah. they're the ones, they believe, they care about others. 
Those guys should never, ever win. They want to live in a socialist utopia. And they had one so, yeah. when they were 15 in, in their little the, bedroom. The response, they could create the a wonderful be, world. The response would be the pessimism stems from millennials having to live in a world and within an economic system that was created by previous generations that they benefited from. And now millennials are incapable of, of achieving the same benefits, right? A, a, a baby boomer. And I think they have a could, case. A baby, boomer, a baby boomer could have a family of four work as a janitor and pay to put their kids through college, right? Absolutely. I mean, like, today, a millennial, I mean, me and my wife are both millennials. We both work, right? We have two you kids. Have to, we you have to, to work. right? You so like the millennials didn't cause the financial crash of 2008. I mean, there's lots of things that yeah. cause it. I would say part of it was baby boomers wanting to have two or three houses and not necessarily being able to pay for it. Right. So well, I think the pessimism. That, that's I, actually I not what happened. That's not what happened. Well, I that's said part of it. Um, that's not even remotely part. I mean, this is where Max and I would disagree because I lived through it. Well, it wasn't millennials buying houses that they can't afford. I'll tell you that <laughs> in 2008, it wasn't, it wasn't our generation crashing the, the housing market. It was, it was older generations because I, we were in high school. We were in college at the time. We weren't out there on, on the housing market. Right. So I, well, I understand well, well, the pessimism though. There's, there's real, there's a reason that this no. pessimism exists. Young people in America have, they've gotten a raw deal. You know, one of the last chapters in the earlier book is the betrayal of the mentors, the way the mentors failed them. The opening sentence of this current book is, what have we done to them? For instance, the Bush administration, W administration, and the Obama administration told you guys, you got to go to college. If you don't go to college, you're going to be a failure. You must go to college. And what did the colleges do? They jacked up that tuition because... Student loans, just get that student loan. Now, you got to take responsibility for the things you agree to, but these were 18 and 19 year olds being told by the authorities in the country, you, you've got this and going to debt, well, you know, you, you, you can do that because it, it will pay off. So there's a case where, I mean, the colleges made out like bandits over oh, yeah. the whole student loan issue. And, and so, yes, we, we, you've gotten a raw deal now Max, what what is the intellectual artistic emotional equipment that millennials pass, possess in order to manage the difficulties that's where i say you got the they have holes in their souls they don't have great role models they didn't grow up reading great novels where they could identify with characters or watch great movies with, with that with that kind of uh, formation that would help them deal with difficulty. They they didn't know. I mean, look, they want to can't they want to cancel Robert E. Lee. Do you have any idea what it was like to be a general in the Civil War? Any imagination for the death? for the suffering, for having to lead. I mean, this was the bloodiest war in human history up until that time, any war. It went on for years. And, and the thing is the millennials, they, they don't have that historical understanding. They don't have the imagination. And if they did, if they had the great love stories in their head, the great tales of rejection, you know, Odysseus and Calypso, Dido and, and Aeneas, on and on, 
it may actually give them some kind of reservoir to understand the inevitable rejections and disappointments of love that you're going to undergo yourselves. They don't. They, they, it got all youth stuff. It was all teen stuff going into their heads at, at that time. That's why, that's why we've got 35-year-olds who still talk like 14-year-old valley girls, as we called them back in the 80s. That's true. So, so the, you know, the, including so, you know, we, we talk about how millennium millennials came up in the digital age, but Mark, I, ha I have to ask you, do you think the education standards and what happened in higher education and basically weaponizing it to push kids to have uh, less respect for their country had anything to do with that? I mean, it, they were almost taught conditionally inside of there to, they were trained in universities. And we, as parents, tell our kids to go to school and to listen to your teachers and respect your teachers. And we want them to do better than what we did, right? What, and, and this is part of the raw deal they got. What, 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 I mean, look, patriotism is a good feeling. The gratitude that comes with the patriotic feelings, it's affirming. You're not affirming yourself. It's not a me, 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 me. You're affirming your country, but you know, people want to feel good about their homes. They want to feel pride in, in, in the place of which they are a citizen. To tell them, you know, this country is really a history of shame. What they get in, I mean, the main American story for young people today in schools is the civil rights movement. And that is not the civil rights movement as a story of triumph. It's a civil rights movement of uh, the assassination of Martin Luther King, the, 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 the hassling of the Black Panthers, and the failure of civil rights to get rid of systemic racism. It's still all out there. What a horrible message this is to the 15-year-old African-American kid who's coming into the world. I'm going to go out. I'm going to have a life. And you're told, you know, your country raped and whipped and enslaved and killed your forebears. And you know what? Your country still doesn't like you either. And it's gonna to try to victimize you. What a great message for that youth to get. And, and, and the rest of the kids who, who you know, wanna look back and say, you know, there's a tradition here. Tradition makes you feel good. To feel you stand in the shadow of greatness, of great sublimity and beauty that's that actually is is an empowering thing. It gives help helps give meaning and purpose in your life. And then religion, right? The millennials, the nuns phenomenon is is bigger than any other generation. You know, having no transcendent orientation. I'll speak in those abstract terms. Having no great beyond, no no God toward which you can relate your life to go off and be alone, to pray, to kneel down to the right things. That, that, uh, they don't have that. And so where do they go? They go to the false gods of racial justice and BLM, Antifa in, in, in some cases. This, this is their search for some purpose and meaning in life that we didn't give them the right tools for when they were young. 
but I, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with some. So I'm gonna put this out there because I think you're. I mean, I think you're spot on with with the vocal millennials, right? And you're spot on with with the majority of what we see optically out there for millennials. And um, I, I think that's the problem is they've been empowered to go out there, even taught to go out there and create this chaos that we see today, right? This this yeah. victimology and this this lens of negativity, this victimology, you know, that everything's everything's bad, 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 bad. And in, in large part, <laughs> and I'll say this because I can, from a family standpoint, I can feel it, much like abortion. I mean, abortion was set up to actually systematically destroy minorities to stop them from having and give it to them as a right. I mean, Margaret Sanger said it herself. So I look at that and I go, all right, so you're telling these kids that are 15 years old that the whole world hates you. Oh, and by the way, they used to slaughter you in the streets uh, way back in, uh, you, you know, before civilized times, but we're really not civil anymore. Um, you're almost enabling every bad thing that happened in their life, even now, Every bad thing that happens in their life has to be tied back to, they must be racist. Oh, I failed here. Uh, it's because of racism. Uh, I failed here. It's because he's a misogynist. He's this, he's that. And so we've literally created the, the, the looking for witches everywhere. And really, the people that are doing that victim, the victimization are typically the people that are the yelling the loudest. You know, you're right that we're really talking about uh, uh, not a majority of, of millennials here. But, but here's the problem. Let's say I'm teaching a class, 35 students are in that class. And, you know, I, I teach a novel by Mark Twain over the course of the semester. It's got the N word in it or Frederick Douglass. It has the yeah. N word in it. And two of those 35 students complain to make a racial complaint to the administration. One of them, one of the students is black student of color. The other 33 were just fine. No problem. No, yeah, that was a pretty good class. That doesn't matter. Those two count. And, and the university takes that complaint seriously. It's a federal complaint, a Title VII basis. And I've got, I've got a pain for months dealing with this. And even if I come out of it, you know, feeling fine, you know, nothing happened, the process is the punishment. And what am I going to do? I'm going to say, you know, this wasn't worth it. I'm just not going to teach those books again. I'm just going to, you know, go, go, go along. Cause I, I can't, I can't deal with this anymore. So, and that changes my, my practice for the rest of my, for the rest of my teaching career. So it, those, the, that small number of people getting institutional support and we know how the institutions indulge the victimology. They're all in on this. The leaders, cave in seconds when they see this this you know vi victim complaint grievance thing building and this is our, our society can't as you said the civil society is breaking down the first amendment they didn't learn much of the constitution the first amendment isn't just a set of rules you know no no infringement of free speech it's also a sensibility it means, you know, you got to have a little thicker skin in order to live in an open society. You got to let people have their contrary opinions without going, that's racist, that's sexist. Okay. That, that you, you, you can't, you can't be that way and have a democratic society. If the pre, if, if the wrong guy wins the presidential election, you can't go in the streets and start lighting fires 
and then put up banners. Resist. Well, resist what? Uh, just resist. Okay, this isn't a good citizenship behavior. You can go through the democratic process and try to win next time. But, but this was just a, a collective tantrum that, that took place by people who didn't learn, they didn't internalize the, the First Amendment norms. They didn't internalize the demands that a pluralistic society puts upon you because again, they were in their rooms and they could shut out anything they didn't like. They didn't have to listen to contrary opinions back then. So why should they now? You know, why don't we have the society that we deserve? Well, they're, you know, utopians always have an answer to that question because there are bad people out there. And if we just get rid of the bad people, we will have that great society in which everyone can be happy. You can be anything you want. Love is love. If you have a male body and you think you're a one, you're a woman and we're all in on that. This is, this is, this is like the, the, the 15 year old's bedroom put out into the public sphere, right? That, that, that's, that's, that's the transfer that they've done now that they're in the, or enough of them have done to change so much. And remember, millennials lead the way on cancel culture. They lead the way. Only because Gen Z hasn't become old enough yet. I mean, what, if, if millennials are the dumbest generation, I mean, you kind of back yourself beer. into a corner there. <laughs> you kind of back yourself into a corner there because what do you title book three about Gen Zers? Because the things I see out of these people are absolutely terrifying as a millennial. And I get like, I understand what you're saying. I've seen those people. I've met you, those people. I've never seen before in my life what's coming out of Gen Z, like the, the you, absolute you, insanity. You know, Max, I thought for a time that Gen Z would rebel against the millennials. They would rebel against the social justice scold because what 19 year old wants to listen to some 33 year old saying, you're having a thought crime. But I, I actually, I'm a little pessimist. I, I think you're, you're correct. You know, in that survey I mentioned about firing James Damore, a little over 50% of millennials said, boot him. 60, more than 60% of Gen Z, of 18 to 24 year olds said, boot him. Yeah. And, and I think that that may be because for the millennials, the devices were liberation because they were so far ahead of us, of the older crowd. They could text, you know, they had the dexterous thumbs and, and they could, they could surf. And we, we weren't accustomed to that. We didn't have time to learn it as, or, or, or the agility to learn it as quickly as, as the young people did. So the tools for them were liberating, empowering. Gen Z now sees these tools as allied to surveillance, right? Surveillance. For instance, you know, the Heisman Trophy winner in 2018, he was a running back at, at Oklahoma. The day he got his award, a millennial journalist, I think it was in USA Today, found tweets that he wrote six years before, when he's in, in 10th grade, you know, he's 15, 16 years, years old. He wrote tweets in which he used the word queer. That's so queer. You guys are so queer that, 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 and this, this poor, this poor kid, he, he apologized. I'm sorry. There's all this publicity about it. 
And so that tells a message to all of them we're watching, okay? You're being recorded. You better keep your head down. You better not open your mouth. I mean, being young is to be politically incorrect, right? You're mischievous, you do pranks, you you poke fun, you're so irreverent. <laughs> that that now gets you. But, but even I was now 16 telling years jokes, old and I sold drugs. I mean, well, look, that, you want to go back 30 years? You want to go back 30 years? Exactly. I, look, I was in jail. You know, I, I got I got arrested a few times when I when I was in high school, um, and gotten got in trouble. I did all kinds of stupid stupid things. Oh, stupid's not even the word look, for what I did. <laughs> but we, we were we, we're idiots. We were yeah. idiots, but we weren't recorded, right? right. We didn't have you know. Now colleges they, they they do admissions. You could lose your admission if the college is informed that hey i, I found this picture that he, that he did and you know and he, he he's he's doing something something stupid and the college will rescind the admission do you know after the he told incident he told an joke in elementary school <laughs> yeah exactly you know the the the, the incident the Co the covington boys at the lincoln memorial a few years ago yeah you know some of those boys were high school seniors do you know the colleges who admitted them they, they had admissions they were going to enroll the following semester colleges got a lot of phone calls from people saying you must deny admission to yeah. to to those to those boys after what they did so the gen z now feels i think the coercion they feel a little bit in an orwellian world because these tools now are are you're being tracked everything is on the record at this point so I worry that the pipelines into the elite, the pipelines for the ambitious ones, uh, those are monitored more closely than, than ever than they ever were before, and that 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 may make Gen Z, you know, a little a little too too timid, a little too conformist. So, except you know, you, you'll get the populist, you know, the pro-Trump young young people, and they know I'm never going to get into the elite. So you know, I'm going to go join the convoy. Well, when you write your next book, it's probably going to have to look like a Dumb and Dumber titled the Dumber Earth <laughs> You might give generation. a good title there. Yeah, Dumber, Dumber Earth Generation. Um, put up my screen again. We're, we're with Mark Bauerlein, the author of The Dumbest Generation Grows Up from Stupefied Youth, Youth to Dangerous Adults. You can find this book wherever books are sold. Barnes & Noble has it on sale, so if you don't want to do the whole Amazon thing, you can get it there. Um, Mark, I want to thank you so much for, for stopping by. We'd love to have you on again. Thank you, gentlemen. I'll, I'll be tuning in your podcast uh, more frequently. All right. Thanks, Mark. Take care. God bless you. I'll be reading the book. Actually, while I was actually on here, I, I bought it. <laughs> Next book to <laughs> thank read. Thank you. Thank there you. you. All, right. All right. There you go. Okay. Right. So long. All right. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. This Fascinating. podcast sponsored. Go ahead. Sorry. This podcast is sponsored by Airmed Care Network, Premier Insurance Plan, to cover up to cover you and your family should any of you need to be airlifted to a hospital for a medical emergency. We don't get to choose when disaster strikes or how we go to the hospital, and it can bankrupt your family. It can cost tens of thousands of dollars, up to 40000 40, 50 grand. And that was pre-Bidenflation number, so I don't even know how much it costs now. Don't let this bankrupt your family. Sign up for Aramaic Care Network and get coverage. For $85, 
it'll cover your entire household for one year. It's less if you're a senior citizen, and it works out to be less if you buy three or five years at a time. And as a bonus for listeners of this podcast, if you go to airmedcarenetwork.com forward slash daily, and then use promo code daily, you're going to get up to $50 back in the form of gift cards, free money. So again, go to the link in our description and make sure you use promo code daily to get up to $50 back. Interesting conversation. Yeah, very interesting. I don't know how much I know. buy it. I, well, hey, listen, you don't buy it because you're a millennial and you don't fit in that little no, bubble. I don't, but I will tell I you, there's a lot of millennials. I, I read the book. I read the book and it talks about things like, oh, well, millennials don't create art the way previous generations do. They don't. I mean, well, Their so you can't, say, you can't say <laughs> that millennials are stupid and then praise Woodstock as being like the pinnacle of, of, of a moral uh, adolescence. You know, what well, I mean, it, was, like, it, it wasn't it, moral, and I think that's what I, I think that's what I was trying to say is that you know we talk about the the things that we do in our life, and Max, do you have any regrets in your twenties that you did? Uh, yeah, a few. Yeah. Do you have regrets in your teen years that you did? A few. Yeah. All right. I have more than a few. So there's a social economic thing that happens when you grow up poor, right? You grow up poor, you're going to make stupid, more stupid decisions. The chances of getting to the place where you can have success dwindles dramatically because of that environment. The same thing could be said for as generations go by, the generation before is pretty responsible for the generation that comes after. So I, it is the, the dumbest generation up to the point where we have Gen Z coming in, right? Because they're more self-consumed. But I will tell you that it's it's the, the boomers and the, uh, you know, uh, what am I? What am I? X. X? No, my X? No, my X? Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't, uh, but everyone has different definitions. The one, I, mean, the one that, I, I get it all. But like back in the day when you wanted to de- define how smart a generation was, you used the actual literacy rate, like how many of them could actually read and write. Like millennials have more PhDs than any other generation, more master's degrees, more college degrees. You say, oh, well, there's, there's great inflation. But how sure. does that, look, I've read sure. 20, but if 20 you, if you 2000 put a millennial, books. If you put a millennial up against yeah. someone from the silent generation of their same age, someone from the silent generation is literally less likely to know how to read. So, so, so I took a, so I took a class last, literally last um, semester, right? I went back and said, hey, look, I want to take a class. I want to learn about these financial disciplines, right? Because there's new financial disciplines coming out. So I went and took a class. I was like, all right, I'm going to take a class. Picked up some credits that I don't need. <laughs> but, I, but I took the class because, and it was, it was online. And uh, I was in there with, I don't know, 35 other people. We did the whole thing online. And it was amazing to me how much the class was dumbed down to a level where I was, yeah, I learned something about it because I read, I read the book, I read the textbook. But what they taught in class, what you learn in the textbook, are completely different things. So the, the, the constructs of the class were, were not teaching you fundamentals. And then I look at it, and, and my son even talks about some of the classes he's taking now for his uh, business degree. And, he's, and I read the book, and I look at it, and I'm like, well, that's not even relevant today. It's not even relevant to what's happening today. 
So, so advanced degrees don't mean anything if it's not relevant, if it doesn't do anything to further or give you any sort of constructs to, to how you operate in, in business or whatever you decide to do. Unless you're in the you know, legal profession where you have to you know, take the bar exam or you're a doctor and you've, you've got to go and uh, get your residency and do those things and you know, then you have to become an encyclopedia almost instantaneously of the things that are happening out there so you know what's happening in your specific uh, uh, field. But the relevancy is just not there. It's, the, the higher education did not translate into smarter or more sensible in society. It just didn't. Well, yeah, yeah. There's an element of that, though, that's, that's moving the goalposts because prior to this, every generation has been gauged on intelligence based on whether or not they went to college, whether or not they know how to read and write. I mean, like that's yeah. been like the measure of intelligence here millennials have are, are able to read and write and you say oh well they don't read at the highest reading level well again compare them to someone from the the silent generation it's going to be no contest um th there's an element to this and it, a lot of it is historical of one generation pissing on the generation right below them right but it wasn't millennials who decided that the way to be to to get ahead in life was to go to college that was taught to them by gen xers um, by baby boomers. That was, that was the definition, right? So um, I would just say it, I find it a little interesting sometimes that the, the very people who, uh, the very generations that encourage millennials to go to, get, go to college, right? Because it never used to be like that. It wasn't millennials who said everyone needs to go to college are the same ones now saying, well, co going to college doesn't make you smart and doesn't help you get ahead. Um, well, and, and I'm not trying to say that it doesn't, it, it doesn't give you some sort of. Form, no, I'm not talking about you. I'm right? just talking generally. But but I mean, I read people. books. I, you know, when I wanted to learn about technology, and I got in this thing, and I was like, I have this idea, and I built this model, and I'm a math guy. Like I love math, right? And and uh, so I was building these models and these algorithms, and I was like, okay, we're going to do this, and this will be the outcome. And I was doing all of these these things. Um, I didn't know what I had to go back. Kept going back to books and reading those books, and kept going back to you know, white papers and going back to, you know, people that are really smart. And some of the white papers that were printed were bullcrap, <laughs> like beacon technology and how AI is going to do all these crazy things. And they're not going to use neural networks. They're going to use slide rails in order to create um, uh, daisy chaining uh, systems together. And, it, and none of it made sense. And so we, we started our strategies building it off of information that was coming out of the university. And, but, but I didn't have to go to school in order to do it. And so there's a lot of things that are happening today that, that you know, the, the education side of things is poison. Like it's poisoning the minds of, of young people coming up. And it's not putting them in at a material advantage, it's putting them at a material disadvantage. And you could start just looking at what they're doing in, in the high schools and in, in, in just high schools and, and grade schools where math is becoming less important. Cursive writing, right? They're not teaching cursive to sc oh, in school anymore. Okay. And I would say, well, how are they going to sign their signature? Well, they, they teach them just to write their signature in. And so you see some of these kids coming up, and their, their handwriting looks like it looks awful because nobody concentrated on the constructs of how important it is to have good handwriting. That's a discipline, and they don't have it. And so we've broken down all of these disciplines. I remember um, when I was way back, way back in the day when I was I'm going to school, I worked at a restaurant. You had to wear a white shirt, pressed, had a tie on, right? And if, if, you, were, if you were caught outside there putting the shirt on in front of 
um, the restaurant, they'd fire you. They would suspend you first and then fire you. Um, if you showed up five minutes late for a shift, they would fire you. You know, I go to that same restaurant today, you know, uh, 30 years later, and the standards are, they're awful. They're awful. But that was the place to be. And now that you go to different restaurants and they're like, they're relaxing everything in order to get less, I would say less qualified. I don't know how you say less qualified, but a, a lesser standard put in to uh, that particular environment. And then, and then millennials and, and Gen Zers are pissed off when service sucks. Well, holy shit. It, it's, <laughs> of course it sucks. It sucks all the way around. Like there, well, there you, is in, no it, accountability yeah. of service. In that situation, you get what you pay for. You talk about the person working, working the, 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 as a chef or as a cook in like some kind of diner or something that they make sure their shirt's pressed and everything. Someone holding that same job today, the only reason they'll make more is because the government has mandated it, mandated it through minimum wage increases, right? So those yeah. workers have not seen wage increases that would line up with inflation. The only wage increases they tend to see are with mandatory minimum wage hikes. So... Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about someone working at a restaurant with their press shirt. Someone could work at a restaurant part-time and put, their, put themselves through college, just part-time working through a restaurant. Can't do that today. So, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but if, if someone can't even pay their rent with that same job today versus what they could do 10, 20 years ago with that job, I, there's, there's unreasonableness to it to expect that their, their clothes would be professionally laundered or professionally pressed, right? Yeah. But I mean, it's an interesting topic for sure. And I'd love to have him back on. Um, I want to pivot to this because this was the title of the show. And I want to make sure we don't make this complete bait and switch. Um, we've been covering the last two days in our facts blast campaigns, this secret gun registry that the Biden administration has created right under our noses. And this is a big deal. This is a big deal because They've now digitized, Joe, over 800 million records. So the way this works, you know how this works. You, you, you own an FFL. When someone goes in to buy a gun at your gun store, yeah. you they fill out the form 4473. The background check is conducted. And then you are required to hold on to that 4473 for 20 years, after, after which you're allowed to destroy it, or until you go out of business, sell the company, close up shop, or get rid of your FFL. When that happens, you're, you are obligated to send any of those 4473 form, background check forms, to the ATF, to this firearm trace center. And they sit there in boxes. And I believe we have that. If we put up image one, I think image one is uh, just the boxes. That's what it looks like in the firearm trace center. So they get about a million records a month uh, from FFLs that have closed up shop, not renewed, and Joe, there are so many boxes of background check forms in this building that it actually collapsed the floor just under the weight of piled up boxes of paper. They had to reinforce the, the floor with steel beams to hold up as much paper as they had at the worst part. So they have about a billion records. They've digitized 800 million of them. Digitized it. Federal law prohibits the government from creating a registry, and they just did it right under our nose. So they took all the boxes because they were heavy, and they turned them into electronic files? Well, so, so they took all the boxes, and they said, well, 
we it's unreasonable to have us search through all of these boxes by hand. We need to digitize these records so we can search for them in digital form. So that's what they did. And in doing so, violated the law because federal law prohibits the creation of a gun database because a gun database, the only purpose to use it is to take away someone's gun or to punish someone who owns a gun. They're not using the gun. They don't want to create so a gun was this database done? Was this to send done, all fruit Was passwords. it done in the last year under Biden? Last year. Or was this, it was done last year? In the last year. So they broke the, the broke the law again. They broke the law stealing the election. They broke the law by not standing up to, from a judiciary standpoint, not act, and, enforcing the law until after it's too late. I mean, you have Pennsylvania. They just declared that the mail-in ballot uh, was unconstitutional. But you know, all of this stuff is done past the point where what do you do about it? what? What's the what's the what's the recourse? Well, the recourse is literally to pull the funding. I mean, they didn't need a cent of additional funding to do this. They found the funding within their current budget yeah. to take a billion records, a billion, a billion firearm records. And that's not firearm sales. That's the manufacturer sending it to the wholesaler, the wholesaler sending it to the gun store, the gun store selling it to the person. So one gun can have a minimum of three to four actual forms for it as it's changed hands from different distributors and the like. Um, a billion records, Joe. 800 million now are searchable, digitized. And they say, oh, we're going to get another 200 million. Congress last year thought that number was 54 million. Members of Congress got word last year that they had digitized 54 million records. And they sent a letter to the ATF. You can put up my screen, Mr. Producer. This is the letter um, to the ATF asking them right here. We've heard that in 2021 alone, you digitized... 54.7 million records. Right. The ATF responded, actually, no, it's 865 million of those records. You're just, you're a little off. So that is what they've done pretty much in the last year and a half, digitizing all these records. And it gets worse. It gets worse because now Chuck Schumer wants to give them the funding to use it. He's an, he announced a $1.5 billion push for what he's calling the Interstate Gun Task Force. That would be an ATF task force that would be able to use this registry, this database, to trace guns back to who purchased them, who sold them. Now, in a, a legitimate crime gun, fine. You want, you want the FBI to be able to find out. So that, that takes a billion and a half dollars? You have a billion and a half dollars? We can't, we can't even arrest people. Now. We can't even arrest people on the street for crimes that they commit. I'm going to tell you a story about um, my, my wife comes home and says, you know, I w she went to like Nordstrom or something like that. And she, her and this other woman are standing there and another woman goes and picks up a sweater, stuffs it in her jacket and starts to walk out. And the woman goes, that was right there, goes, did you just see that she's stealing that, that sweater? And the guy's like, yeah, yeah we, don't do any, we don't do anything about it. We're not doing anything about it. Gen Xers stealing all sweaters. And... And I'm like, and, and my wife is like, what, what are you talking about? You're not going to do anything about it. That makes everything that I buy more expensive. That means that we as people have to pay taxes for people walking out the, of the store with merchandise for free. And nobody arrests them. Nobody, we're not going to do anything about it. That's really where our country's come to. And that was the realization where you're like, oh my gosh. When lawlessness becomes law, and that's what that is. What is our obligation to society? What is it? 
Yeah. You know, when I was a kid, I would drink a soda when I'm in the car with my friends. I would throw it out the window. I, I thought littering was oh, nice. not a big deal. That's bad. That's bad. I didn't think it was Admonish. that big a deal. Okay. Now, fast forward. I see somebody else throw something out the window, and I'm like, hmm. I want to leave the place better than what I came here for. There's a, there's a consciousness that became evident that I want the place to, that I want, I want, our, I want where we live to be nice. You know, the, when they break the law, there should be a consequence. But how do you give a consequence to, I mean, yeah, pull, pull, pull away funding. But who's the one that did this? Who's the one that broke that law? And should they go to jail? Should they go to jail? Yeah. For breaking the law. Okay. So why not? Let's push to that. Let's push. And I I think we're doing a a fax blast on this today. Are we not? Uh, We did last two days. So probably not today. But if you haven't already joined the fax blast, you can. Um, It was yesterday's and and the day before. And if you aren't already on our our email newsletter, make sure you sign up for that newsletter. That link is in the description. Um, Yeah. This gets scary because when you see things like the, the red flag laws, Joe, where they are talking about confiscating your guns without even putting you in front of a judge. The judge is able to just order the confiscation in secret. And then you see they have this registry. Now, the registry is not perfect. It's not complete whatsoever, right? Even one billion records, that's not even close to what the real number is. And anyone who's listening who has an FFL, who has um, it's like- a licensed gun store, I, I, billion. I implore you, I implore you, the minute that a 4473 background check form becomes older than 20 years old, destroy it. Destroy it. You are not obligated to keep it. Destroy it. Because if you don't, it's going to go to the ATF and they're going to just add it to these kind of registries. Do you know that gun stores are voluntarily even sending records? They're not even closing. They're just sending them copies. Why? Because they're idiots. They're idiots. They're getting a million background check forms a month. Well, not pure background check, but also like wholesale and stuff like that. A million records, a million pieces of paper a month. Well, I know that there's not that many gun stores closing. No, but 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 there's a lot of gun stores are just tired. It's a big fight. I mean, fighting the ATF, you know, you've got to make sure you do a lot of things right as a gun store. A lot of yeah. things, right? It's the it's not just the forty four seventy three. It's making sure that every dot, you know, it, it, sentence is dotted, the T's are crossed, everything is done correctly. You have proper IDs, that you have identification if they don't have a proper ID. That you have to have a copy of that. It has to be in the file. You have to make sure that it's stapled to it. And if and if you don't, you mess up. If the signature is not exactly on the right line, mm-hmm. if it's just a little off. Those are the things that you have to do audits on. So you, not only do you have to sell the gun, and, and by the way, the, the, the margins on guns is terrible. It's terrible. Mm. Not, you, they're just not. There's not big margins on guns, right? When, when, when there's a mass shooting and the price goes up and no new shipments have come into the store, there gets to be a little bit more margin. Yeah, a little bit more ma- margin if you're, <laughs> if you're a store that doesn't play by the rules, right? I mean, you have map pricing. You should sell at map pricing. You make seventeen to twenty percent. It's it's not a whole lot of money to make on a gun, a gun, right? But 
if you if you look at the the type of things that you have to do as a gun owner or gun store owner, it's it's a it's a big process, and the ATF is unapologetic. Yeah, but I'm ta- I'm talking about gun stores voluntarily handing over background check forms. Yeah, when, when the law does not. Well, require we would it. never do that. We would never do it. Yeah, I know. Um, there's the other side of it where the ATF has collected millions of records claiming that they have a law enforcement purpose, but really don't. They're going on fishing expeditions. They say, oh, I think that this gun store might be shady, so you got to give me all of your records. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It takes a little bit more than just saying we think a gun store might be shady. So they're adding, they're, they're still building this thing. And Joe, $1.5 billion. They don't need that to enforce gun, gun trafficking laws. They don't need $1.5 billion. That is to use the registry against people like us. It's like an example, an example, uh, machine guns, machine guns have to be registered under the National Firearms Act. If you are a criminal, you cannot be prosecuted for possession of an unregistered machine gun. Because the act of registering it would be self-incriminating and the government cannot force you to bear witness against yourself. So the only person that can be prosecuted in this country for possessing an unregistered gun are law abiding citizens people without criminal records. So the registries are literally created to go after law-abiding citizens. By law, by, by, con, by, by judicial ruling, registries cannot be used to go against criminals. You can only use it against people without criminal records. Well, that brings me to the fact that who wants to win a truck? I, I, me. We have a sponsor. Am I allowed to win it? Enterforce. You're not allowed to win it. Although I just bought oh, a couple sounds, sweatshirts for friends. Let's have my son. My sons will enter. And, and I was going through their site. Um, Max, go ahead and put it up on your site. But I was going through the site, and they have this bonus box, which I thought was pretty interesting. So it's Enterforce, E-N-R-F-O-R-C-E, Enterforce.com. Um, you can win this truck. It's an F-450 2021 Um it uh, you can win that truck, which is 2021 F uh, 450 and a, a quad behind it pulled on a trailer and twenty thousand dollars cash. This truck has been outfitted to the extreme. I think it has 24 inch wheels and tires. Um, easily a hundred thousand dollar truck. I think the whole package is probably 130 to 150 thousand dollars, especially today. <laughs> especially oh, yeah. today. So if you Max, if you go into it and you start looking at it, they have this thing called a bonus box, which I thought was pretty cool. Shop at the very top. Uh, yeah, and they have these bonus box bundles. Is it bundles? Oh. Uh, you obviously can get the no. free our people shirt. So so I want you guys to know we're going to be donating an enormous amount. So all of the um, th- this is not a. Uh, this is not a sponsor we did for us for a financial gain. We did this so that we can give money back to the prisoners. So we'll be donating a ton of money. You can buy the Free Our People shirt. Um, at the very end, we'll tell you how much that money is. Um, and as we start doing this on a quarterly basis, because we're going to do it on a quarterly basis, um, we will we'll come up with new plates. They also give an enormous amount of money to the, the veterans as well. You can check that out on their site as well. They give it to veterans. We're going to give it to the political prisoners. Uh, but you can find the Free Our People t-shirts. You can find the Free Our, P- Free Our People sweatshirts. 
Um, they also have these these bonus kind of mystery boxes, which I think are pretty cool. Um, you can look at those as well. Um, I, I want I want to talk about Jake Lang real quick and and why the this right here, this free our people and and making this something that we all do, uh, that we walk around as walking billboards. But um, Jake Lang is on a hunger strike. Will be until February twenty third. We'll have an update that I'll do um, sometime later on today. Uh, hopefully, I get a chance to have Jake back on a call. But uh, he is on a hunger strike till February 23rd. They are going to have a protest on February 23rd, which is his court date. And he wants them to look into the atrocities against the political prisoners that are being held underneath the D.C. jail. Um, you can, by the way, in order to get these shirts or anything on the site, you can get 10% off with code CD10. That's Charlie David 10. Or if you want to get bonus points in order to win the truck, I think you get a thousand additional uh, entries, Max. I, I believe um, yep. you can use CD twenty one. Yep, it's Charlie David twenty one, and you get an extra thousand points in lieu of the ten percent off. So the shirts do run a little bit small, um, either that or I'm getting a little bigger, um, which is could be possible as well. Um, but check it out. It's Enterforce, E-N-R-F-O-R-C-E dot com, Enterforce, and enter to win that truck. Well, we're out of time. If you haven't already, again, make sure you check out those fact spots on this gun registry. It's a big deal. This is what they've always wanted. They've wanted gun registry because without it, they can't have confiscation. They can't have gun bans. And they just created it right under a nose. So we need your help to stop it. So check out the, that fax blast if you haven't already. Joe, want to read us out? Absolutely. So that's it. Um, if you like our podcast, please subscribe on Rumble at Conservative Daily. Follow us on Telegram at Conservative Daily. You can find us live at Conservative Daily, conservative-daily.com, Rumble, DLive, Twitch, Frank Speech, and Cloud Hub. You can get the audio version of Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and Audible. Please subscribe and give us a five-star review. Um, it, share this episode with people that need to hear it. You know, I thought the Mark conversation was, was great. We had some people that were like, I don't want to hear this mostly millennials who did not want to hear that they might be a part of a group like that. Eh, we got people in uh, Gen X that are like that as well. Um, if you need a reminder, when we go live, you can text the word freedom to 89517 and sign up for our text alert system. Use the link in our description as well to subscribe to our newsletter so you can get our fax blast and you don't miss any important projects that we are working on. That's it for this episode of Conservative Daily. My name is Joe Oltman. My name is Max McGuire. Remember, the fight to take back the country is not over yet, but the only way we win is if we all stand up and fight together.